2: You might not be able to tell from the averages. Dow inching down 13.8 points today. S&P advancing 0.18%. NASDAQ gaining 0.28%. But as we head into the heart of earnings season, this quarter has been very tough on the skeptics because there's been so much good and so little bad. Yep, when it comes to the fundamentals, the Bears keep getting stampeded by the bulls. That's why this market has been extremely resilient in the face of endlessly negative stories about how we're about to fall off a cliff. So let's start with the elephant in the room, economic policy. While there are both winners and losers from President Trump's aggressive moves on tariffs and trade, and at least for the near term, probably more losers than winners, the truth is, that we've struggled to pin the tail on the bears here. Good companies keep addressing the trade issue head on, and very few have been knocked for a loop, even as the dominant news narrative is that the whole economy is going to be KO'd. Certainly from my perspective, it sure seems like far more CEOs want to talk about the positives from the tax cuts than the negatives from the newer tariffs. Look, TNT, that's Tariffs and Trade, not Dynamite, nor Tanqueray and Tonic, can still blow us out of the water. When the president tweets almost daily about how our trading partners aren't partners at all and our allies are foes who rip us off all the time, it's not exactly a stable situation. Even though most stocks tend to bounce back after Trump's tweets, the fact is that his pronouncements on trade are very different from when, say, he blasts Amazon for alleged sweetheart deals with the U.S. Postal Service, as he did this morning. Amazon's got really nothing to worry about, though. Tariffs are different. We know the president's willing to pull the trigger. And someone always gets hurt when you change trade policy. Don't get me wrong. As a citizen, I think he's absolutely right to stand up to China. But as an investor? Well, these trade tensions are not positive for the stock market. As long as President Trump appears erratic on these issues, or more accurately, often at odds with some of his staff, I say we have to be on guard. For example, I think the president's chief economic advisor, my old Putty about friend Larry Kudlow, was spot on when he told me at Delivering Alpha last week that talks with Europe might produce a positive result. But then again, that was last Wednesday. Which might as well be ancient history as far as this White House is concerned. I sure hope we make a deal with the EU. Automobiles are the crux of global commerce. And if he uh, gets start, started seeing higher tariffs on cars, that's bad for the whole market. Well, on the other hand, if Larry's right and the Europeans come bearing gifts, maybe we make a deal to drop all auto tariffs on both sides? I think this market could go much higher. Bye, bye, bye! For now, though, All we can really do is wait for a resolution. Fortunately, trade is not the only thing that matters to this market, and we now have enough earnings reports to start making judgments about what else is important. Let's start with technology, uh, which is really kind of, when I look at the numbers, technology is divided between the cloud... And everything else, especially telco. Microsoft versus Skyworks is the most withering example here. In many ways, Microsoft delivered the perfect quarter because it offered you sharply better than expected Azure numbers. That's their cloud business. Uh, and the company also excelled in gaming and its classic software and LinkedIn. But cloud hit it out of the park. How about China? hardly a focus for Microsoft or other cloud plays, but it, it's supremely important for hardware companies like semiconductor maker Skyworks. While the chipmaker reported an excellent quarter with very strong cell phone sales, Skyworks was deemed to China. That's right, to china Orient, And the stock got crushed last Friday. The lesson here, stick with the cloud. Now tonight, Alphabet just blew away the numbers. <laughs> With a monster quarter. And again, the cloud figured positively. Big wins from giant cloud users like the technologically brilliant Domino's. Remember, we tell you it's a technology company that sells food. And, of course, the vast target chain. The latter obviously not wanting to subsidize its mortal opponent, Amazon. Further, Alphabet has no China, having withdrawn from the PRC over censorship issues. Plus, it looks like Alphabet's business is so strong that we don't have to fret as much as some thought about the $5 billion fine recently handed down by the EU. European business, by the way, was incredibly strong. I think it might have been actually helped. I think they may be the big winner because of GDPR, that privacy standard that played out in Google's favor. There's just a ton to like about this company, which managed to reverse a niggling trend towards sliding down the day after it reports. All of Fang moved up in after-hours trading in sympathy with Alphabet. What else? All right, you got the banks, and this group seems to be totally controlled by long-term interest rates, which determine how much money they can make from lending. So when the yield on the 10-year Treasury jumped, and that's what's happened recently, the bank stocks uh, come with, with it just kind of one-for-one, one, so to speak. Look at JP Morgan's Citigroup today. The thinking here is pretty straightforward. With long-term interest rates headed higher, the financials will make more money. But they are already making a fortune anyway. Still, you can't quibble with these gains. And I think the bank stocks remain cheap here. I think that's going to be a continual theme as we go deeper and deeper into earnings season, that the banks turned out to be much too low a price earnings multiple, given that rates could be headed higher. How about consumer packaged goods? People sure like what they've seen so far. I thought they wouldn't. I think the group did get too low. But any higher, and you know what? They start backsliding when interest rates go up. Just look at what happened to the stock of PepsiCo today. You know, caught a downgrade from a firm basically saying it had run too much after it reported. I disagree. I think the stock's just regrouping. Hey, what else? McCormick, the spice company. That's the one other real standout here. I don't think it's going to give up any of those gains. If anything, it's going to add to them, and we're going to have more from McCormick later. Healthcare, big sector, right? Well, you know what? When I look over the healthcare stocks so far, we've got an interesting panoply, I see tremendous pin action but then limited follow-through. I think J&J deserves more of a boost than it's gotten. It went up nicely first, and then, eh. Same with Abbott Labs. We're going to dig into that later. There were some real good quarters. United Health. Wow, standout. But then (laughs) the stock got weaker. Why? Because the company beat itself up unnecessarily on the call. Danaher's the surprise healthcare winner so far, now that it's offloaded, sluggish dental business. The industrials, very tough. Aside from General Electric, uh, we've been seeing some robust action, but it's all been in aerospace. Uh, You know, if it weren't for the power division, GE, which has a huge aerospace division, would have been fine. Although, uh, wondering how GE would have done without power is kind of like asking. But other than the play, Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? You know, it's really unfortunate. I went over that quarter multiple times and rather than panning GE, I'm calling it a work in progress. Of course, Chief Baron G.E. Steve Tusa over JP. Morgan has a new negative thread. The accounts receivable of regular GE offloaded onto GE. Capital. It, but in retrospect, their accounting sure was squirrely, something we never would have known as long as business stayed strong. This stuff only came out when things started declining. I think CEO John Flannery is doing his level best to turn things around, but Rome wasn't built in a quarter, and this one won't be fixed in one either. Speaking of the industrials, can you believe how much Honeywell's making and how deaf the CEO of Darius, is a damn check member, he's Dave Cody's successor, has been telling about the story of breakup and all, a tour de force for certain. But on the other hand, a company we've had on a couple of times on the show, Illinois Toolworks, long known for its consistency, has now become maddeningly inconsistent. That's quote for just plain for two quarters bad. And the declines are pretty daunting. As I told ActionLarsPlus.com club members, I question whether ITW should still be owned here. So let's say industrials right now are a question mark on a case-by-case basis. Retail is also hard to puzzle over. However, uh, that that question could be resolved by the positive commentary and forecast boost that we just got last Friday from VF Corp. The company delivered a quarter so good with strength coming from jeans, van sneakers and North Face that I think it is fair to extrapolate right now positively to many of the brick and mortar stores that carry this stuff. I'm particularly interested in seeing Target. I think that acts well. I think Coles is having a super quarter. Here's the bottom line. Don't let all the fretting about tariffs and trade freak you out. You might miss the trees for the forest. So far, we've gotten a ton of positive earnings reports. And with the possible exception of the industrials, I think the course is now well-blazed. And I bet these bullish numbers will serve as a template for things to come as we get through earnings season. Chris is my home state of New Jersey. Chris! Hey, Jim, who from New Jersey? It's Chris. I wanted to ask how you feel about Broadcom. Uh, I couldn't resist that 20% drop. What do you think of the merger with CA? Well, the stock is coming back, and one of the reasons why it's coming back is is that they're going to be able to get this deal done because they do not need Chinese approval to buy CA. Second, I do think that the mainframe cycle, which CA is levered to, is very strong. We heard that last week when when, when we uh, listened to, when we talked to IBM and Martin Schroeder. I thought he did a good job. So ultimately, I say that that uh, Avago now Broadcom is fine, not great, not bad, certainly better than some of the others, though. James in North Dakota. James! Hey, Jim. Uh, Just wondering how you
0: feel about the earnings report that just came out from Cleveland Cliffs, and if you think that the tariffs are actually helping this company out. I know they've got a firm footing now. What do you think?
2: They absolutely are helping it out. There was an upgrade this very morning from J.P. Morgan. It read very well. Obviously, the iron business is strong and the steel business is strong. Now, we know that Nucor actually uses uh, scrap. But, you know, look, John Ferriola told an amazing story last week. The stock was down incorrectly. That steel and iron sector is in full market mode. All right. In your face, haters. We continue to see results that defy the skeptics, and I think the course is well-placed. The only exception being the split in the industries. Oh, man, Money tonight, is it game on for Hasbro? Come's up over 10% after earnings. I'm talking with the CEO to find out if the move continues. Then, one company just put on a clinic of a conference call. I'll reveal the name and tell you why it was the best one I've heard in ages. And... S- Spice, spice, baby. I'm sitting down with the CEO McCormick. Find out about the company's RB Foods acquisition. That's Frank's from the man himself. Stick with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag mad tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
2: I love to say I told you so. Two weeks ago, I told you to buy some Hasbro. The big-
1: Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more.
2: Toymaker because I thought its stock was being excessively penalized in the wake of the collapse of Toys R Us. I figured this was just temporary disruption. It's not like they don't have other vendors. And I said I expect to see a comeback. But even I couldn't have to admit that I didn't expect it to turn around so quickly. This morning Hasbro reported a much better than anticipated quarter and the stock took off vaulting $12 or 12.9%. The company delivered $0.19 earnings beat off of a $0.29 basis. And while its revenue still shrank by 7% year over year, that number was much higher than what Wall. Wall Street was looking for. Even better, management made it clear that the problems caused by the closure of Toys R Us are now mostly in the rearview mirror. They've got a clear path forward now, thanks to new retailers picking up the slack, coupled with rising demand from consumers. So could the stock have more upside? Let's take a closer look with Brian Goldner, the chairman and CEO of Hasbro. Hear more about the quarter and where his company is headed. Mr. Goldner, welcome back to Mad Money. Hi, Jim. Well, first, Brian, congratulations. You came on last quarter and you said you could navigate this. Tell us how you were able to put the Toys R Us collapse behind you so quickly.
3: Well, we've continued to focus on building great innovative products on entertainment and storytelling and then modernizing our organization all around the world. Our U.S. team did a fantastic job of continuing to manage through the liquidation of Toys R Us, which is now complete. And now we're lining up for share recapture plans with the remainder of our retailers, building bigger programs for the holidays, working with the retailers we've worked with for years, adding some new retailers and new exciting categories around gaming and fans and some sporting goods. And then, of course, uh, bespoke online program and omnichannel programs. So we'll do content to commerce online, and these shoppable social media opportunities.
2: Now, what was also amazing is you made it clear to people, look, it wasn't like Toys R Us. We made much more money in in that particular group versus others. And you're talking about proprietary partner brands uh, that are very exciting, uh, exclusives with Walmart, with Target, with Amazon Prime, with Singles Day in China. These are all probably excellent channels for Hasbro.
3: No, they really are. And then obviously, as we go around the world, we're working through the European situation. And there there's been disintermediation between online retail and the brick and mortar retailers. And we work through that as well. And we believe all these issues disappear by the end of 2018. And we move on. We've said we believe we can grow in 2019 and beyond. And we'll expand our operating margins as a return and get back to a 62 percent gross margin.
2: Okay, now you did talk about the idea that there's still a substantial amount of, uh, of manufacturing that you have in China. It can shift. Is this something we should be concerned about in the second half?
3: Not really. We've really focused over time strategically on moving production out of China. So this has been going on for a number of years uh, for risk mitigation and cost mitigation. We've moved product out of China. About 30% of our manufacturing is outside of China. You know, in the United States, we make 25 percent of the product for the United States in the United States, and we're continuing to add production. This fall, we'll add the Play-Doh production in the United States, and we'll continue to move product around the world to make a high-quality product. We found great vendors in India and Vietnam and other countries, as well as the United States. We're also moving product production to places where there are tariffs, like Brazil, so that we can mitigate those incoming tariffs with the Brazilian government and uh, we again continue to build a more robust global footprint for our manufacturing
2: you made a bold acquisition power rangers and i want you to tell our viewers what happens when you get something like power rangers how you make it so it's more experiential what storytelling message can you tell us right now about what you're going to do with power rangers
3: well it's very exciting in 2019 we'll launch the product line in the second quarter and then by 2020, it's the full blueprint. So new entertainment, will move to not only annual television, but we're working again on a, another movie, and we'll execute it across the blueprint. So that's consumer products, mobile gaming, and immersive entertainment experiences, in addition to our toys and games business. We would expect it to look like a My Little Pony or a Transformers over time. And obviously, it will, it will enjoy that high operating margin that we enjoy with our franchise brands.
2: Uh, all the time on your conference calls, there's always one brand that stands out that I thought was kind of a, not a dead brand, but just a so-so brand. You called out Dungeons and Dragons this time. I mean, that's been around forever. How does that reignite?
3: Well, people are more into Dungeons and Dragons today than ever before. In fact, it's enjoying its best year ever. It's It's been the last couple of years where it's grown. People are re-engaged with that brand because it's a face-to-face game. It's immersive and it's uh, a game that people really enjoy playing with one another. We have more new users coming on board, double-digit new user growth. And we're very excited about what's coming up. In fact, we just announced this afternoon that there'll be a crossover between Dungeons & Dragons and Magic the Gathering in the fall. And I think our fans and gamers are going to be very excited about what's coming for D&D. We're also building a suite of digital games around Dungeons & Dragons and Magic the Gathering. Our Magic Arena product is underway in a closed beta. We've had more than a million people sign up, and we're very excited about launching that later this year so you'll be able to play Magic the Gathering or Dungeons & Dragons on a mobile device or online as well as face-to-face.
2: Now, did, how did you get a million so quickly? I mean, because what this makes me think is that now you've got a lot of, other, a lot of people to sell into. You've got a lot of different uh, extensions that you can do that could just make this so that it comes alive for multiple years.
3: Well, once you build this mobile game, we're also seeing that just with the analog game, people are watching us on eSports. We have about a million viewers a month watching a Magic the Gathering game, and people watching Dungeons and Dragons and Twitch. And so we think over time we build this to be more of an esports property. It's a very immersive game and it's perfect and ripe for global esports competition.
2: One last point. Uh, you said that you thought your stock was too low. I saw how many shares you bought. It's just a standout quarter. You took advantage of the dip, didn't you?
3: Well, we're going to continue to look at buying back shares. We've said that we could buy in the amount of shares that we had issued to purchase the Power Rangers, which would be about 3 million shares. And our, our goal is, with strong cash flow, to keep buying in shares opportunistically.
2: Well, uh, Brian, congratulations. You, did, uh, you exceeded what you said you would do. Brian Goldner, Chairman and CEO of Hasbro, thank you so much, sir. Not done going higher. It took a lot of people by surprise, including the analyst community. I predict many upgrades and target bumps tomorrow. Mad bunnies back in the
1: At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need.
0: Is there anything you can't do?
1: Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the
0: UPS.
1: nope.
2: I'm constantly telling you to listen to the quarterly conference calls. They are your single best source of information about how a company's actually doing. But how do you know if the call you're listening to is any good? How do you judge a call's quality? This is important. So let me give you an example. Last Wednesday, we heard from Abbott Laboratories, that's the Kramer Fave healthcare conglomerate that we own from my Chapel Trust, which you can follow along with by joining the ActionArtsPlus.com club. It's all about diagnostics, medical devices, nutrition, and generic drugs, among other things. They're the global leader in blood screen immunosay uh, diagnostics, uh, drug-eluting stents, uh, point-of-care testing, heart pumps, adult nutrition. Now, I've been a fan of this company and its amazing CEO, Miles White, for ages. Last November, we ran a whole segment that was basically an ode to Mr. White's ability to create value. Since then, the stock's given us another nearly 14% gain, about double the performance of the S&P over that same period. And when Abbott reported again last week, wow, the company showed you exactly why I've been such a relentless backer of its stock. It's not because Abbott Labs delivered a monster blowout. The company posted a modest top and bottom line beat with a special boost to its full year guidance. Good, but not earth shattering. No, the remarkable thing here, the reason why Abbott stock shot to an all time high last Wednesday for pulling back a couple of points was the conference call. What Miles White had to say. This was the best one we've heard in ages. Miles White. Literally, he put on a clinic and how to orchestrate a conference call. I think it's actually worth going over because you need to see what this actually looks like if you're going to be able to spot a phenomenal conference call in the wild. Let's go through it point by point. First, Miles White briefly goes over the numbers. That's what all all the CEOs do. Then he immediately goes into Abbott's corporate strategy. He talks about how they spent years deliberately shaping the company's portfolio, pruning businesses that didn't fit, like the drug business they spun off as AbbVie. Then making major acquisitions, double down on other industries, like the $25 billion purchase of one of our absolute favorite companies, St. Jude Med, in January of last year, to bulk up their medical device exposure. He explains that this is how Abbott can keep putting up 7% organic sales growth. That's a big number, very fast for a $111 billion healthcare company. Yeah, this is a, not a small company. Well, uh, White then breaks down all four of the company's business segments, it gives you a reason to be excited about, frankly, about each one. In diagnostics, they're rolling out a whole new system, Alinity, that's selling like hotcakes because it helps laboratories run more efficiently. In generic drugs, their sales are growing at 12% clip, thanks to the company's exposure to fast-growing emerging markets. They're they're also seeing real strength in pediatric nutrition. And in the medical device segment, my favorite, there was so much I can't really do it justice, including a phenomenal cardiac business and a red-hot diabetes care division. They were up 22% and 30% respectively. At this point, White takes a break turns the call over to CFO Brian Ewer, who does a deep dive into the numbers. He then really breaks things down, giving a rough organic sales growth forecast for each of Abbott's divisions in the next quarter. Given that Abbott had just raised his full year organic growth guidance to 6.5 to 7.5%, think of this as the CFO explaining how they're going to get there, a roadmap. And now we get to the fun part, the Q&A session with the analyst community. By the way, all of whom are in awe of Mr. White. Listen to some of this stuff. Lawrence Beagleson from Wells Fargo wants to know how the company feels confident of its growth trajectory, given that they're coming up against some tough comparisons in the second half. White's response? Not worried. Abbott's underlying markets are, and I quote, pretty strong. Now, how strong? Even though the dollar's been on the rise lately and a lot of companies have complained about that, a bad thing for an American company that gets the bulk of its sales from overseas, of course, he's feeling confident. Let me read you this part verbatim. I'm quoting here. We'd probably be raising guidance even further here, but for the currency headwinds that we see for the remainder of the year, end quote. Wow. There it is. Would have raised. He explains that while there could be some noise in average generic drug business, which is a lot of emerging market exposure, the general direction is going to be higher. Even if it might oscillate between being merely good and being great. Then he hits on what's working in nutrition, diagnostics and medical devices, saying while they may go up and down a couple of percentage points here and there, the underlying overall growth rate is pretty strong. And like I said earlier, we'll probably raise guidance further, but for the concern about the exchange, end quote. See, that level of confidence from someone who's been around this long, that's sensational. In short, he's incredibly bullish on the fundamentals. And the only thing that's stopping him from raising the guidance yet is the strong dollar. That's really the only piece of heroin this quarter, and White's adamant that they've got a handle on it. After that, Robert Hopkins from Merrill Lynch tries to pin White down on a specific durable earnings growth rate. The numbers keep coming, up, uh, uh, coming in well ahead of plan. He wants to know at what point they're going to stabilize or stall, rather than trying to deflect the question. Uh, White's incredibly transparent. Another thing I just love about this man telling us that, I quote, we want to grow at a double digit rate, otherwise difficult to call yourself a growth company, end quote. White explains how they'll get there, the right geographic markets, the right innovative spaces, the right growing healthcare areas, margin improvements. And even though we won't commit to a specific target, could be 10 percent, could be 15 percent, he let us know that, and I quote, We're in a really great new product cycle of launches. Every piece of this has a nice, sustainable, long-term ahead of it here. And the businesses, you can see the evidence of it growing, end quote. A masterful performance. While White refused to take the bait and pin himself to a specific number, he makes you understand exactly why he's so confident about Abbott's ability to grow its earnings over the long haul. That confidence is exuded in this call, and it makes you want to pay a higher stock price. That's what does it. My favorite part? was when Rick Wise from Stiefel, the acknowledged analyst dean of the sector, asked if they're planning to make any major changes to the portfolio going forward, either by selling off parts of the company that don't fit, maybe doing more acquisitions. Oh, most analysts, most of the CEOs will a hedge a question at an analyst ask like that. Um, so because they get this question in some form or another every call, White just lays out his whole philosophy. Abbott Labs, as it currently exists, he says, is the result of, and I quote, "very deliberate shaping." End quote. Since the Abbey spinoff nearly six years ago, White wasn't trying to be reactive or opportunistic and repositioning the business. Every move he made was part of a larger, overall, well thought out plan. Now that they have this finely tuned money uh, machine, uh, money making machine, White tells us, quote. Our first baseline is we've got to operate and execute well organically as a company, end quote. At this point, the intentional repositioning is done, as is most of the merger integration as Abbott's way ahead of the schedule in paying down the debt from the recent deals. And White goes on and explains that Abbott can make some opportunistic acquisitions if they want to, but they don't have to. In fact, he adds, quote, the single biggest opportunities we've got are all in our own pipelines, end quote. What more can you ask for? Here's the bottom line. Abbott Labs put on a clinic of a conference call last week with consummate CEO pro Miles White exuding a quiet confidence as he laid out all the reasons why he believes in the company's growth targets. If you don't own Abbott already... I'd be a buyer right here. Bye, bye, bye! Dennis in California. Dennis! Hey, how do you do, Jim? I am good, My Dennis. Question, how about you? I am wonderful. Uh, except for this. My question is about pharma company AbbVie. Right. Sadly, I bought shares, and they've been falling now down about
4: 10%. The analysts sound like it's a bargain at this price. And because the company has new drugs in the pipeline... And it's getting into the
2: production and sale of legal marijuana. I'd love to get your long-term view. Where you think this stock's headed? Well, I, while I like the marijuana business, certainly not going to cue an Abv. It's uh, uh, Umira that's the problem. Now, I personally feel strongly that uh, the uh, an analyst who put a sell on it. Uh, and really talked it down, is going to prove to be off-base, even though I like them. And I think that uh, AV is a buy, and I would actually add more to my position right here to get a better basis. Let's go to Ken in California. Ken. Hi, uh, booyah, Jim. Booyah. I'm,
3: booyah. I'm looking at tandem diabetes. It's up 300% this last year, and I'd like a fundamental and a technical opinion on it.
2: Well, you know, to have a stock that's up a thousand percent—I mean, this thing has really been a rocket ship. I can't recommend it up here. I think that the diabetes, uh, unfortunately and sadly, diabetes is an epidemic. Everyone involved with it uh, is doing quite well. You know, if for specific diabetes play, so to speak, I like Dexcom. They've been on the show a number of times. Uh, they've been able to withstand the uh, the competition from Abbott. That's my favorite, and it's not as speculative as TANM. Let's go to Allen in Pennsylvania. Allen, Thanks, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Okay. I'm talking about uh, intuitive surgical. They, uh, I'm just a little uh, intro. I know you know it. Uh, right. The Nick and so um, surgical uh, robots for minimally invasive surgery. Right. And they're called Da Vinci Systems. It's a razor blade business. The systems being the razors and disposable instruments they sell as blades. Correct. That 4,400 of these robots in hospitals worldwide and they continue to ship a good deal of them. Right. Well, every- look, Alan, I, I know well. I actually gave a presentation that uh, involved their their product uh, years ago and realized how great it was uh, when I got a, uh, I spent a lot of time working, uh, helping Overlook Hospital in Summit, New Jersey. And all I can say about this is that I think there's far more runway here. I think ISRG has always looked expensive, but I would still be a buyer even up here. And by the way, that last quarter was magnificent. All right. Abbott Labs' is earnings call was a thing of beauty. Kudos to CEO Miles White. I would be a buyer right here if you don't own any. Much more mad money ahead. Including my exclusive with a company that can add a little spice to your portfolio. Don't miss my sit down with the CEO of McCormick. Then, do CEOs matter again? I'm telling you why management is relevant this earnings cycle. And I'm glad they are. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. When a great CEO with a terrific long-term track record goes out on a limb and does something the stock market doesn't like, you might want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Take McCormick, MKC. It's the world's number one maker of spices and seasonings. Almost exactly a year ago, the company announced it would be paying $4.2 billion for Rekit Ben Kieser's food division. And that includes famous names, Frank's Red Hot Sauce, French's Mustard. Stock got slammed in the news. People thought they were paying too much. But when we had the CEO, Lawrence Curzius, on the show here, he calmly explained that these brands were worth every Penny, especially since millennials put hot sauce on everything. I was convinced of the merge of the acquisition for that interview. Many people disagree with me. That is until late last month when McCormick reported a blowout quarter. Just stunning numbers. Driven by much better than expected performance from, you guessed it, the wreck it business. GP Frenchs and Franks. Stock caught fire, 8.4% in a single session for tackling a few more points. And believe me, there's some analysts who are still late to the party. I think he's got a lot more room to run, but don't take it from me. Let's check in with Lawrence Curtis. He's the chairman, president and CEO of McCormick and company. You get a better sense of where his business is headed. Mr. Curtis, welcome back to Made Money. Great to see you, sir. Hey, Jim. It's so great good. Have you. a seat. Thank you so much for coming on after a triumphant year where you really did it just so right.
4: Well, Jim, it's been almost a year to the day since I was on your show, and uh, you were no pushover. You asked a lot of hard questions, <laughs> and this was a deal that uh, wasn't universally popular, but at the end of the show, you told your viewers that you thought it was going to be a hit. And uh, you are exactly right. Uh, we have had tremendous success you know, with these brands. And, uh, and the viewers who listened to you and took your advice oh. actually would have beaten the S&P by 10 points if Ooh, they had bought our oh, stock. Well, oh, oh, lords, thank you. Uh, it was you. You I, told
2: me why you thought it was good, and I agree with you. I've actually got something special here for you. Oh,
4: get you. out of
0: town. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: my God, my wife is going to have, which we do put it on everything. <laughs> my wife is going to love this. A little close up there. never looked better. Well, thank you so much. And yeah, I am a huge believer. I was at a restaurant this weekend. They had three different kinds. You're already got all new distribution venues. That's an incredible credit to your to the pull of McCormick.
4: One of the things we said when we bought this these brands was that these were fantastic food brands that were trapped in a non-food company. You put them into our business, you know, we're the experts in flavor. We've gotten tremendous placement in restaurants. We've been able to expand at the shelf. It's, it's really been good for us.
2: Now, uh, I think we're just getting started because on the call, you talked about major national TV campaigns that are about to come out, and these brands haven't been supported like this. That's absolutely true. You know, uh, Frank's Hot Sauce
4: actually hasn't been on television in over seven years. Um, we haven't even gotten to the TV campaign. That's coming this fall. Uh, But we'll bring Frank's back to TV. Of course, we're out there on digital and social media already.
2: Uh, Social media, this thing is incredibly popular. I looked it up before you came on. I had no idea that this is, uh, as someone told me this weekend, it's something we do. He said, we do this. That's not what people say typically about food.
4: Frank's is something of a lifestyle brand. It's especially a lifestyle brand for millennials. And I know we've got a room full of millennials here today (laughs) who can attest to that. But... uh, but millennials are more interested in flavor than the general population they are more adventurous in the foods that they eat they like to cook more from scratch than the general population and uh, and frank's is a millennial brand Literally, the younger you are, the more likely you are to be a consumer. This is one of the things that really appealed to us
2: about French. What's incredible, credit to you, Lawrence, is it wasn't just that you tied into the millennials. This was a brand that was my era. And you have reinvented this in less than a year's time. Shelf space, you're taking away from the other guys, and you're growing this.
4: French's was a brand that really got pushed around at the shelf. Um, You know, the, uh, the, 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 French's food company didn't have category management capabilities that were very good. Um, You know, this is something that we're quite good at. We've taken the case to the retailers on this one. Um, In many cases, secondary brands that had a fraction of the sales had as much shelf space as French's did. This has been a place where we've been able to grow.
2: Now, you didn't even have the benefit of a good grilling season. But now we're in the summer. Uh, You started that. uh, I know that you were talking about a June kickoff for a campaign. But how are things going now that it got hot?
4: Well, things are going great. Um, you know, we got a slow start to the grilling season just because it was cold and wet over a lot of the east and the south. We even had a tropical storm over Memorial Day weekend. Um, but, uh, but a normal weather pattern has set in. So, you know, our business does best when uh, the weather does what consumers expect it to do and normal consumption patterns can, uh, can set in. So we're really excited about how the grilling season is going for us right now. And we're really looking forward to fall. You know, McCormick's business is heavily skewed. Uh, to the end of the year around holidays and back to school and football season. You know, these are brands that are going to play well then, too.
2: You, uh, I, I forgot how powerful this is among the wings community, and wings are incredibly popular. Just little things like King of Wings, you've decided to augment that.
4: Well, Buffalo Wings were actually created using Frank's Hot Sauce originally okay. at the uh, Anchor Bar in Buffalo, New York, and that's where the name comes from. So, uh, So this is a real tradition. Um, And we are embracing Wings. Uh, You know, uh, Reckett Menkeeser had uh, King of Wings promotion that they ran in the springtime. We've more than doubled participation in King of Wings under our ownership,
2: and we're bringing it back in the fall as well. Okay. Now, speak to me. People didn't get to address it that much on the conference call. They talked about China and tariffs. But, you know, obviously, Canada's put some tariffs on the category. Where are you uh, in the trade wars? Well, you know, we believe
4: in – free and fair trade and, and, and you know, we'd like to see our leaders work things out for NAFTA, right. but so far so good for us. Um, there's no tariffs on uh, mustard. Um, you know the uh, interestingly french's mustard is made with 100% canadian mustard seed so the canadians did not want to put a tariff on that <laughs> supposed to and uh, and uh, and our ketchup you know french's ketchup for the canadian market we actually make it in canada with canadian tomatoes so it doesn't have a tariff either now in the us we make it here in the us as well that goes to our philosophy uh, of producing in the markets where we sell the product um, which i think is going to help us out as we go through this whole uncertainty around tariffs generally.
2: All right. There's been great uh, boost in gross margins, but I'd be remiss not to say not to ask you core business really doing incredibly strong, right?
4: The core business is doing well. You know, what's really differentiated McCormick is that we've been hitting on all cylinders. So we've had great growth through uh, new products. We've had great growth on our core business, and we've had an acquisition here that's been very successful for us. You know, we have doubled down on flavor and doubled down on growth. We see flavor as a growth category and ourselves as a growth company. We're investing behind these brands to continue to drive growth.
2: Well, Lawrence, I want to just uh, congratulate you. You, a man of your convictions, it's been so incredible. And of course, this one's probably going to be your number one seller. That is Lawrence Curtis' Chairman, President, CEO of McCormick and Company. This one's going higher. It is just now getting the support of the analyst community. Man, Money's back here to the break. It is time. It's time for the lightning round, Chris. What's about? Rock the boat. One, two, three. The stock's down. Bye, bye, bye. So, play your music. Just cause when you only play And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round, Chris. I'm going start with Michael in New York. Michael.
0: How are you doing, Jim? My stock is Estee Lauder, symbol E-L. All right,
2: the stock has really been marking time since the last ah. quarter because there were some very small things that were concerning to people. Buy, buy, buy. I think it is a buy. I think Fabrizio Freitas is doing a remarkable job. You just pick some up. It's part of the selfie generation. Mark and Georgia, Mark!
4: Yes, I just want you to know I want to address you as Dr. Jim Craver because of your expertise in the field that you're so enlightened about. Okay. I've decided to get your opinion on Prime America financial services at this point in time.
2: Okay, well, Prime America is doing incredibly well. It is really, uh, for the, uh, the middle-income uh, person, it, it's really one of the great financial advisors, and it's done incredibly well here, and I think it's going to continue. Let's go to Betty in New Jersey. Betty.
0: Hi, Kramer. How are you? I am good, Betty. How about oh. you? That's good. It's great to talk to you. Love the show and keep it going. Listen, I'm calling about Boston Beer Company ticker S A M.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is amazingly. This guy, these are Sam's doing incredibly well. I think it was heavily shorted. It's making a comeback, but I do not like the beer category. I think it is saturated and there's too much competition. And I would be a seller of half my position if I own any. Let's go to Todd in North Carolina. Todd. Hey, Booyah, Jim. This is Todd from Winston-Salem. Oh, great to have you on the show, Todd. What's going on?
4: Hey, I got a question for you about Axum Enterprises. Um, This looks like a great stock, great potential to move forward and grow. But the PE is kind of high at 297. Do you think this is a great time to buy the stock? Oh, boy, we, we liked it
2: in the 20s and the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. Yeah, look, I'm afraid to say we'll wait, continue to buy it up here because it's at 75. We've been such stalwart supporters of it. I think now you got to wait for a pullback. I can't come in right now with guns blazing saying time to buy when I've been saying it's time to buy for 50 straight points. David in Oregon, David. Hello. David, what's up? This is David, Portland, Oregon. I own HP, Inc. and all of the
4: spin-offs and it seems like HP and HPE have some obsolete
2: business models, components, and I'm wondering if I should hold on well, to I disagree HPQ. when it comes to pure HPQ, the old HP, uh, the, the PCs. HP, Inc., I think is doing incredibly well, and I would be a buyer of that stock right here. HPE <laughs> is hard for me. Don't feel that way. Mark in Maryland. Mark. Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Mark. Mark from Maryland. Love your show. Thank my you. Stock is, my stock is Vail Resort. Oh, Vail's incredibly well run. Bye, bye, that bye. is an experiential place with it's just fantastic. And I think it's still a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Do the performances of individual CEOs matter again? Is stock picking making a comeback? I've been investing for 36 years, and for the vast majority of that time, we accepted that the market worked a certain way. For example, we knew that about half of a stock's performance could be traced to the sector it happened to be part of and the other half came from the fortunes of the company itself, with most of that hinging on the decisions made by management. But with the ascendance of index funds, sector-based ETFs in recent years, that's no longer the case. These days, it seems like only a handful of executives are skilled enough to buck the secular trends that control their sectors. You can think of these winners as fang and friends. Aside from them, though, I've seen figures that suggest that up to 75% of trading is either automated or related to ETFs, not individual stocks. Think S&P funds, okay? However, something's happened, really, in just this quarter, uh, that makes me think stock picking may be coming back into vogue. I'm talking about the widely disparate performances of stocks within the same sector. I saw it a little bit last quarter, but since this quarter began, I'm really seeing it a lot. Case in point, oil service. Last Friday, Air reported an excellent quarter where the company predicted positive momentum both for the second half and all of next year. Somerset's been buying back stock and preparing for the upturn in international drilling, which is just starting to happen. Competitor Halliburton, though, on the other hand, turned out to be way too levered to the Permian Basin, the oil-rich region in Texas, where the take rate is severely limited by a lack of pipeline infrastructure. Nobody's going to boost their drilling budget if there's not enough pipe to get, to any, get the oil market. Somerset saw this coming, which is why they didn't fall over themselves trying to build up business in the Permian Basin. The result? Somerset's stock hangs in there, down half a percent today, even as Halliburton gets slaughtered, down 8% because of the Permian problem. How about Toys? We heard from Hasbro earlier tonight. The company navigated the collapse of Toys R Us and Fine. While they didn't see the fall of Toys R Us coming, Hasbro's reaction to the loss of its chief outlet was swift and decisive. Mattel, on the other hand, equally blindsided. But! It has yet to lay out a plan or a vision for how to move past the loss of Toys R Us. It just wallows in disappointment. The stock price reaction is stark and shocking, which is why the stock of Hasbro is doing much better than the stock of Mattel, double the percentage gain for the year. Same goes for the industrials. Last week, General Electric reported a widely panned quarter, where analysts simply weren't able to get their arms around the continued weakness in power and what seemed like a more widespread degradation in GE's margins. This morning, Illinois Toolworks, ITW, reported second disappointing quarter in a row. I like GE's restructuring, but no one ever promised you a rose garden in that thicket. Illinois Toolworks, I'm dumbfounded by the company's inability to chart a path different from the previous quarter's fiasco. Meanwhile, Honeywell, a company that has a lot of overlap with ITW and GE, totally shined when it reported last Friday, with both rising margins and pending restructuring that will unlock even more value. It soared. And it kept rallying today. We've seen tremendous variance among the biotechs and in the retailers in the last few months, too. In fact, the only group that's still trading pretty much in lockstep is the banks. When long-term interest rates go higher, as they did today, the whole financial cohort moves up, too. When rates are calm or declining, they all go down. There's been almost no differentiation in that group whatsoever. But in a way, the banks are the exception that proves the rule. Everywhere else, management's execution finally matters again. And that means stock picking is therefore back in style. It's such a pleasure to see stocks trading like, well, stocks and not baskets of corn or soybeans. I say enjoy it while it lasts and stick with Kramer. so much good stuff from this alphabet call. You have to like the machine learning issues. You got to like what they're doing, artificial intelligence. But you know what really stands out, aside from the home assistant? It's the Waymo. It's their their autonomous driving. It's really doing incredibly well. Like I say, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim
0: Cramer, and I'll
2: see you tomorrow.